Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. Now this week, in the wake of Angela Lansbury's passing, we were talking about big knobs and broomsticks on the FOF Twitter. And... The response to the movie was just overwhelming. We had such an interesting chat that we thought we couldn't just leave it there. We thought we'd have to do an episode yeah. dedicated to that movie. So here we are. Here's our, you know, without further ado. Let's dive into the greatest war movie ever made. I mean, actually, but before we go greatest, on. Maybe, greatest Disney war movie ever made? I don't know. Yeah, probably. It's up there. Maybe. Greatest war movie of the, of the 70s? Greatest war movie Ooh. involving a witch. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll go there. there. We, go. we won't annoy the Bridge Too Far fans. Um, <laughs> but no, but Matt's been away in America, if you didn't know. I have. Yeah, off at a conference. Yeah. Um, talking about firearms history. So what better way to get back into the gist of things with a uh, show about bedknobs and broomsticks? I know, um, right? <laughs> Put the jet lag aside. Just yeah. get back on get back on the fog train. It never stops. <laughs> it, it, it literally doesn't. Production? Yeah. So, of course, it was a Disney production, as we all know, as you're probably all well aware. But the film was actually based upon a book called The Magic Bag Knob, Bonfires and Broomsticks by Mary Norton. And that movie was released in the uh, mid-1940s. And Disney snapped up the rights to that book pro- almost immediately on the book's publication because they wanted to make Mary Poppins quite famously, but they were in a rights dispute with P.L. Travers. But, you know, this movie was being developed from the 1940s onwards and then when they finally did get the rights to Mary Poppins um, Mary Poppins was the film that you know was made first um, because there was also um, some limitations at the time uh, some Disney execs and Walt Disney himself 
uh, Disney thought the film was un, unmake, you know, the book was unmakeable. You, know, you couldn't translate what was on the pages to film. Oh, time, right, I see. Just because yeah. of limitations, I think, of their mm. studio. However, you know, as time went on, it became easier to do the sorts of things that they do in the movie with yeah. the uh, live action know, like, and live animation, action, animation together yeah. and stuff. And yeah. Mary Poppins had shown how good that looks. So, mm-hmm. you know, this movie is developed after. Um, and then it's a sort of, some people are mean to it saying, oh, it's just a Mary Poppins knockoff. Or it's, you know, it's clearly just trying to recapture the same uh, sort of beats. But I don't think a bit that. Cruel. I, it's very much yeah. its own thing, isn't it? I think, yeah, I think there's some um, parallels. But then again, I don't think there are as many parallels as other people want there to be. Yeah. So anyway, but talk about the production staff. Uh, it was directed by Robert Stevenson working on loads of Disney films, Old Yeller, uh, Love Bug, and obviously Mary Poppins in 1964. Um, and that's, you know, one of his big films, obviously, huge film for Disney at the time. Um, and this one was written by Bill Walsh and Don DeGrady, and they were, you know, long-time Disney collaborators. They wrote Mary Poppins. They also wrote The Shaggy Dog, Son of Flubber, The Love Bug, you know, all these really, you know, sort of really popular uh, live-action yeah, classic. Films classic disney live action stuff yeah proper like you know that 50s 60s classic disney era mm-hmm. and the songs were written by the sherman brothers all the songs of mary poppins were theirs and you know if you've heard a disney movie you've heard the sherman brothers they're just mm. you know an absolute mainstay and the movie was filmed bed knobs uh, was filmed entirely at walt disney studios everything was built from scratch the sound stu- uh, on sound stages that you know extensive use of matte paintings for the landscapes oh yeah um, absolutely the, the yeah. whole village of peppering eyes i think it uses like um oh, there's that castle down in dorset or yes. somerset one over and then everything else is just painted that's it yeah you can tell as well that like, i don't i think yeah. back maybe back in the times before you know 4k and blu-ray uh, i mean as a kid when i watched it i don't remember going that's a painting no, I did it. I did it extensively when I was watching for this. But I, I had my sort of critical head on, and I was like, "That U boat's a matte painting." Um, <laughs> but the Portobello Road sequence was entirely built from scratch on a soundstage, uh, mm, soundstage two, actually. And at the time, it was the largest and most ex- expensive set built by Disney. So there's some proper money like, going into this. Four streets worth, wasn't it? Or something uh, cr- crazy like that. Yeah, you know. But Disney never do things by halves, do they? They, no, they, they never no. have. Um, and the film uses um, Oob Iwerks sodium screen vapour process to mix the live action actors in with the animation. Oh. And that had been done in Mary Poppins. And that's like an early green screen. Mm. Um, and there's a really good, um, it's on the D23 website, which is a Disney fan website. And there's some great behind the scenes photos of them doing the uh, the sodium screen vapour process. And it's just how the you know, the, the puppetry syncs up and some, the floors are real sets, but then the, everything around them would be animated and after. It's really seamless. Like, it's still so seamless. It doesn't look bad. It doesn't look hokey. It just, it's... Yeah. The, it's the only time where it doesn't look great is during the transitions in the football match, where it goes from him getting run over by the, the football team to him being on the floor. Yeah. And it's a little, a, little, bit... a little They're a little bit hokey. Um, but other than that, I mean... We'll talk about the the end sequence, um, yes, the climax of the will. movie later on. But that's incredible for you know the time the film was made. The film was nominated for five Academy Awards at the 1972 Oscars, and it won for best visual effects. I mean, obviously, you know, the, mm-hmm. for the time, you know, this one's really go, really great. 
Um, and it was actually the last Disney-branded film to win an Oscar until 1989's The Little Mermaid. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. Yeah, they did. Oh. And, that, and that movie in itself, actually, Little Mermaid, did kick off that Disney renaissance of the 90s. Yeah, I suppose it did. Yeah, Aladdin mm. and all that, Hercules and all those yeah, I've seen some people movies. argue that the, the bed knobs and broomsticks was the last classic era Disney movie. And then it, right. the, eight, the, the, the 70s and 80s are sort of like the wilderness era. And then mm. the 90s are the resurgence. But it depends who you ask. You know, I think. Yeah, I, I can understand the theory there. Yeah. By and large, I think it's not. I don't think that 70s, 80s period is necessarily a dark era for Disney. It's just not. They're not on top anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, so moving on. The movie was released on the 8th of October 1971 in the UK. Um, and then on the 11th of November in the US. And the budget was 6.3 million. And the box office take was 17.9. And, you know, countless millions on rentals as well from that yeah. time. It's become and timeless. It has. Yeah, it really has. And the film was restored in 1996. And that added lost songs uh, such as With Flair and A Step in the Right Direction. However, A Step in the Right Direction isn't added into the movie because the uh, film sequence of that was lost. So that is available to watch as like a uh, they use background. Uh, so they use behind the scenes photos to show how that sequence would look mm. and you can watch that on youtube and it's a extra feature on the dvd but it's not in the movie mm. um and it made the uh, that restoration made the portobello road sequence longer they used faded print and digitally restored it and the version that i watched is the disney plus version uh, that has some of the lost songs in it oh, cool yeah there's a bit with like the clothes seller that they added back in i think yeah um mm. that bit there um because it kind of like just fades into it that's it. Like a in, like a not a, not a uh, flush transition. It's you can see that it's been added back mm. in. I think. Yeah, you can. And it's watching the. There's a great little behind the scenes documentary I watched. Um, a, that was a, a, around the time of the '96 re-release. I think it was '90. Might have actually been '98. Actually, it was like a Disney Channel thing, and they showed some of the original rushes and how they'd been. You know that when they cut halfway and you can see the original mm-hmm. to the restored. It looked really great. Yeah. Um, but as always, we love to see what the people thought back in the day. So we have uh, Arthur Thrickle of the uh, Daily Mirror yet again from October the 8th, 1971. And he says, Bedknobs and Broomsticks is a skillful mixture of human and cartoon characters, a film featuring splendid magical effects and a gloriously funny soccer match played by cartoon animals. The musical numbers may not have the melodic syrup of Mary Poppins, but the dance is a stage with verve and the story combines humour, romance, wartime nostalgia and a highly original battle sequence. The setting is England in 1940. Three Cockney kids evacuated to a remote coastal village stay with an elegant eccentric called a Galantine Price. And that is a mouthful. That's a fair <laughs> yeah. review. Yeah, it is. A Galantine is a bit of a mouthful. Um, that's a fair review. I, I agree. I, it, has a, it has charm to it. Um, it really does. It really does, and it's weird because I this movie for me it's it's like I know it's set in the war, but it's it's really hard to like think think of it as a war film for me. It's not a war movie, and no, we're stretching the it's set we're in stretching war, yeah. the uh, the 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 definition of fighting on film here a little bit. But it's we I are. think it's worth it for this. Um, There's some great. The thing is, the reason we're doing this episode is because there are some great things that this movie does in regards yes. to its representation of the Second World War. And we'll right. There's later. interesting elements that we're going to talk about in a moment for sure, yeah. like you know the home guard and the Portobello Road scene, mm. battle sequence, 
Um, there's there's interesting callbacks as well, which I want to touch on in a bit. But I guess I'll I'll uh, head into cast. Oh no, we've got the one way reviews. Yes, we do. So uh, before David I jump Mc- the gun, Sue Warrior Fifty Five says wonderful. There uh, in Slaffer from Germany, he says Portobello. Uh, MRC nineteen sixty six says fun. Matt Bone goes with armor. David Current goes with memories. Brad Holloway says Duke. That will become clear later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Dan Brazil says Nabumbu. And Hannah um, at Rumble Dolly says childhood. And I think that's nice. the thing, isn't it? That's yeah. That's the well, overarching thing. Most importantly, what did Ernie make of it? He didn't watch it. He was in playgroup. Oh, so you're sat at home watching Disney movies and Ernie's at playgroup. We've tried things. We've tried with the live action ones and you don't really grab him. He's a mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh guy. You know, he yeah. loves a bit of Winnie the Pooh. And I think that's the thing with this movie is that I think for a certain group of people, it really captures that. It captures the childhood memories. And that is the thing with mm. Disney, isn't it? It's inherently linked to our childhood with anyone. Well, it is. Say. I mean, we've said this before, but there's kind of a parallel here. Whereas Disney movies, and then for a lot of people, war movies are both really linked into childhood memories yeah. and, and, and that sort of thing. Mm, no, you're right. They are, it's almost like it's something about them. I think it's something about how they used to be on like BBC Two in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. More movies did. And then if you're lucky on a bank holiday, they'd put Disney on. Yeah. yeah. If you were really lucky. So it, I mm-hmm. think it, I think they, they they don't go hand in hand. That's the wrong word, the wrong phrase. No. But they they have something about them. They've got this, there's this nostalgic feeling about them. Especially when we're talking like 50s, 60s era films. I think it's just like it's a nucleus there for some people that it, it, it mm. sparks either a, you know, either a career of liking military history or just tapping into that nostalgia there. But no, I, I really like those one word reviews. And the, as I said, like at the start of the episode, the feedback just from mentioning bed knobs and broomsticks once was. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I think we had like 250 likes or something on 90 replies on a, oh, can you guess what the mo- next week's movie is going to be? And I was inundated. Yeah. My phone was pinging off like no one's <laughs> business. I was like, oh my Lord, you know. Do follow us at Fighting on Film on Twitter. Yeah, please do. Please or the do. social media is available. Yes, it is. Um, so that takes us into cast, I think. It does. Um, so, of course, we've got to start off with Angie herself, Angela Lansbury. Um, plays Miss uh, Galantine Price, who is a amateur witch in search of a the back end of a spell that is a that has been evading her. Um, and along the way, she gets embroiled with some Cockney kids um, and ends up fighting off a small Nazi invasion, uh, as you do. All in the day's work for Jessica Fletcher. Yeah. You know. um, and of course, that's probably what she's best known for, her years of work on Murder, She Wrote. Um, but she was a career actress from the 1940s mm. onwards. So she had a, a an expansive career that included Three Musketeers in 1948, Mutiny in 1952, and of course, The Manchurian Candidate in 1962, which a lot of people forget about, um, and The Lady Vanishes in 1979. And they're, they're some of the other films that touch a little bit on, on, on conflict and mm. espionage. Um, but the film had resonance for it, I think, because... She evacuated London as a teen as well. So yeah. she moved to New York, not quite the countryside, no. but um, I think there was a resonance there for her. 
Mm. And interestingly, the, on that D23 website you mentioned earlier, Robert, the, there was a little um, quote of a note that she wrote to the producer, Bill Walsh. Mm-hmm. And it said, I think the script has many marvellous facets, character humour, heart, and an opportunity for rare inventiveness in so many areas. And the songs Dick and Bob have written for a Galantine are charming and just, and just what was needed. So all things being equal, I do hope I'm your girl, which I really liked. I thought that was really nice. nice. Yeah. yeah. And it's because she was, well, she didn't exactly fight um, Julie Andrews for the role, but I know Julie Andrews was their main choice because of Mary Poppins and she turned it down, didn't she? And then, yeah, right, she was in line for it. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And then right at the end, she was like, oh, no, I will do it. And they were like, oh, no, no, we've got Angela. We've Lansbury. already cast Angie. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I, I've, we can't do a show about Angela Lansbury without me just dropping in this little fun fact. So in 1990, she actually wrote a um, a book called Angela Lansbury's Positive Moves, My Personal Plan for Fitness and Wellbeing. Now, this was accompanied. I found out about this through Lauren, um, my, my, my partner, who told me about uh, an episode of uh, um, The Maintenance Phase, which is a, a, like a health and fitness okay. um, critique podcast. Which is I don't really know where funny. this is going, listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, just, enjoy, just go with it, Rob. <laughs> anyway, so Lauren was telling me about um, this episode of Maintenance Phase, which talks about Angela Lansbury's like, health and fitness book, okay. um, which is great. You, you can check that out. It's actually quite Cashing funny in and that insightful. Late 90s. Uh, sorry, early nineties fitness frenzy. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was one of the first, in fact. So okay. From the nineties onwards, there was a whole glut of of fitness VHS and mm. videos and that kind of thing. But Angela's is actually online um, on YouTube, which right. you can go and watch. And it is probably the most wholesome thing you'll watch next to bed knobs and broomsticks because okay. she's just lovely in it. And she's talking about um, her experience with uh, exercise and healthy eating and her history. She talks about being on the theater, talks about her mother taking her to um, Hyde Park or I think it was or Regents. You know, take, takes her to a park in London in, in the, the early 40s, late 30s, where she joins a, a women's fitness group, one of the first women's fitness oh, groups. Wow, okay. They exercise in the park and stuff. It's really nice. Yeah. Um, it, it literally is the most 90s thing imaginable. Mm. Um, there's there's some surreal bits in there where she's just in her living room lying on the floor doing like heel kicks. Um, <laughs> and then there's a bit where she's in the bath talking about being an active um, elderly sexual person, which is okay. kind of jarring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole th- the whole thing is really interesting just to watch. So I just thought I'd throw that in there as a little yeah. extra Angela. Um, factoid. The tangents are mad on this episode. I folks. know this. This episode is a bit. Yeah, it's a bit wild. Okay. This is the really anomaly. On. This. Yeah. This is like our bath <laughs> salt phase. This is. Um, <laughs> but like, this um, thing about Angela Lansbury, though, before we move on, yeah, I yeah, I was really shocked when she, you know, when the yeah, news she's an icon. Said she yeah. passed away because I used to do at my nan's every weekend. I used to go, and there's all, always would be repeats of. Um, earlier she wrote and I'd always yeah. watch them it was Diagnostics Murder with Dick oh. Van Dyke and then oh. it was Murder, If only she there was wrote. a war movie crossover we could do to discuss Diagnosis Murder because that show was insane Well there was was there um, Lieutenant Robinson Crusoe N- NV Oh yeah no he is in that one Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Dick Van Dyke That's a Disney movie right? That's yeah, a Disney is, movie. yeah 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 yeah, that's a, um, maybe we could do that down the line sometime. Yeah, maybe. Um, um, but, but it's just yeah, the thing, like, murder. It, it, it goes through that nostalgia thing for me. It's like one of my biggest memories of going to my nan's before she passed away was 
merch she wrote with Angela Lansbury. So it's, it's mm-hmm. nice. She's she's just one of those really wholesome actors. Yeah, murder and, she wrote, yeah. Colombo, diagnosis murder. It's that era of like. I wonder if there's kids in America right now watching reruns of Midsummer Murders. Maybe. And having the same experience. I really hope not because they <laughs> don't mean, deserve that. They were that. It's like a two-hour marathon that I can't do Midsummer. Murders. Anyway, we said <laughs> no more tangents, Rob. <laughs> yeah, we said sorry. no. We've tangented it. We've gone tangential we're again. We're a war movie podcast. We're going, we're going full tangential. Like, remember. just off the chain right now. Anyway, so David Tomlinson plays uh, Mr. Emilius Brown, who yeah. is a kind of a, a showman professor. Um, not all he's portrays him to be. It's He's kind of a... Um, bit of a con man. Bit of a con man, yeah. Um, and Dave Tomlinson... Uh, was a flight lieutenant with the RAF during the war. Um, and apparently uh, Peter Ustinov was offered the role of uh, Mr. Brown. Yeah. Um, uh, Ron Moody was originally Wasn't cast. Wasn't she but, like uh, Lansbury's brother-in-law anyway, or went on to become? Ustinov, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I read that somewhere, yeah. Um, that would have been a great way ahead connection. It would have been, it would have been. Um, Tomlinson was in Pimpernel Smith in 1941, uh, The Way to the Stars in '45. I See a Dark Stranger in 46 and The Wooden Horse in 1950. Yeah. Escape movie. I'd um, forgotten he was in that. And then when I was yes, I had up, too. I was like, fucking hell is. <laughs> oh my God. Good. We've managed to get fuck into a <laughs> podcast about a Disney film. Oh God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't let the kids listen. I just swore. <laughs> so uh, then we've got um, Ian Whale and... Uh, Roy Snart, who played Charlie and Paul Rawlings, the two little boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they never acted in um TV or film again after this. Oh. This was their one role. Um, and I think they're they were really quite good, good at it. it. Yeah, they the were great. They're so good child actors. Like, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cindy O'Callaghan played uh Carrie Rawlings and she did lots of TV. I think she was in EastEnders for a long time. Lots of TV over here in the UK. Um, Roddy McDowell plays Mr. Rowan Jelk, the, the vicar. Um, then we've got a great little cameo from Bruce Forsyth uh, as so Swinburne, good. the Spiv, so good. Um, and his pocket knife. Yeah. John um, Erickson played uh, Colonel Heller, the uh, leader of the German raiding party. Um, Reginald Owen um, portrays Major General um, Tiegler, who is the commander of the Home Guard platoon. Yeah. Um, and he was in a whole series of of war movies uh, and lots of other movies from the 30s onwards. He was um, Admiral Boone as well. He was, and let me, I was about to Sorry. get to that. Um, <laughs> so he was in M- Mrs. Miniver in 1942, Reunion in France, same year, uh, Assignment in Brittany, uh, 1943, Salute to the Marines in 1943, The Three Musketeers, which also starred Angela Lansbury. Um, ah. Darby's Rangers in 1958, and of course, as Rob mentioned, he was Admiral Bloom in uh, Mary Poppins in 1964. Um, rounding out the cast, we have uh, Arthur Ghoul Porter, who plays the Home Guard inspecting officer that is uh, trying to find the platoon. And um, yeah, it, that's he in has the a couple of little scenes version that's not in the original mm. cut. Yeah, that was restored yeah. in. Uh, and then we have a, an interesting cameo from Hank Warden. Um, as an old home guard soldier, and you can see him marching in the um, uh, in in the ranks uh, in, mm-hmm. in a couple of the scenes, and he was in a load of um, really big uh, John Wayne movies okay. um, and westerns because um, he was a cowboy. 
So this is a really odd thing for him to appear in. So he was in Stagecoach, Fort Apache, Red River, The Alamo, The Searchers, uh, McClintock, True Grit. He was in okay. name name a John Wayne movie, and he appeared in it basically. The CBs. Um, you said name a movie. No, and I just did. no, he wasn't in that one, Rob. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Foiled <laughs> you. Um, but yeah, proud. I just thought I I mentioned him because he he's like on the right hand side of the the three okay. files that are marching when the uh, home guard are introduced. Mm. Um, he's got a bit of a, a bit of a beard, I think, but he's a very tall man. Um, instantly recognizable if you if you know who Hank Warden is, and that basically rounds out the cast. There's no Duff casting in it because you know there's it's just Nance no. I think Tomlinson brings a lot of humor to the role. Yeah. He's just great. Um, He's probably one of those proper like is, is is brilliant. Um, she delivers it perfectly on the you know where she needs to be um, mm. straight faced. She's great where she needs to in- inject a little bit of humour. Just, yeah. just great performance. I do. I often think David Tomlinson would have been a really good Doctor Who in that era. Oh yeah, that's a good just, shout. Yeah, just the way he acts and the way mm. he's very showman like reminds mm. me of Patrick mm. Troughton's Doctor. I think that's okay. why. And I, I just often think, oh, you know, could have got could have got a really nice you know really mm-hmm. interesting take there but then you know he's then again he was making really good probably making really good money being in lots of disney movies so would you yeah, need like to love bugging anyway. stuff and yeah. yeah before we move on there's a great little uh thing on the if you've got disney plus there's a great little uh snippet of him singing um portobello road um and it's really good um I just went with the showman brothers there just a really nice little bit of archive footage it's really nice to see oh that's cool yeah mm, i love it so maybe and I never thought I'd say this ever in my life, <laughs> but we should move on to the alley tally for bed knobs and broomsticks. <laughs> Let's do it. It's time for alley tally on fighting on film. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we get that whole sequence with the museum. And the, the battle sequence at the end is probably my favourite scene, and we'll talk about that more, I'm sure. Um, and I'll explain why it's actually my favourite scene um, from from childhood Matt's perspective. I think it's everyone's favourite scene, really. Yeah, it's great. Um, but I know that you'll probably have a, a little bit to say about the Home Guard and, and the oh, Germans, yes. Germans. But just picking out some of the museum pieces, we've got uh, English halberds, a two-handed battle axe, Brown Bess muskets, I think. You don't really get a good look at them. Um, Bowman. And Angela has a sabre. Yeah, it's great. And a Brody. Which, She's wearing a Brody helmet. And a Brody. And uh, a Mark I uh, broomstick. Um, <laughs> I I couldn't identify the sabre um, exactly. It looks like a like French like cavalry sabre, but not okay. quite. Well, I know um, that all of the, um, the suits of armour were used on Camelot and El Cid. Yeah, apparently so, which, yeah. and there's some sources that say they're authentic, which, mm, well, yeah, maybe they were made. Just priceless medieval yeah. suits of armour being Maybe they were made. At, yeah. I, I, think, I don't think they're authentic um, <laughs> no. originals, um, but they look good. They're, they're great. There's, there's an interesting mix of late, Euro- late European medieval, medieval and Eastern European medieval, which I guess the El Cid bit kind yeah. of comes from um uh because for some reason they went with a very eastern european armor feel for el cid which is set in spain um 
but I'm not an expert in armor, so I can't comment on that really. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that that scene. Yeah, um, there's something later about on. it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it's great. So for me, I mean, it was the Home Guard because at mm-hmm. the moment I might have been heavily researching the Home Guard again. Um, so we've been doing some writing, some articles about them, and um, should be published soon. Um, but it's there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Really interesting because they're they're a really, really well armed home guard yeah. unit for I mean I went really in depth on this. I took it quite seriously. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying Matt didn't, but I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about the representation of the Home Guard in film because there's not many representations yeah. of the Home Guard no, that aren't. aren't Dad's Army. Mm. Um, and this might Suddenly be this is others. a little bit Dad's Army-esque. But... It is, but it's not It's not awful. I mean, no. I don't think it's it's shockingly bad. There are, they are a little bit old yeah, anachronistic in places. But it's mm-hmm. not awful. I just, I like the sentiment to it. You know, it's like, you yeah, know, we're we're the boys of the old brigade, and the, that early sort of home guard era was a little bit, you know, because was a little bit made up of the old heads coming together, mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to help. So it's not out of the realm's possibility. But just to talk about their kit very briefly, they've got 1940 pattern battle dress tunics with the with the buttons visible. They've got short magazine the Enfields. Uh, they've got side by side shotguns. I think one of them's got maybe like a Webley hunting rifle. Something yeah, like there's that. there's like a there's like a Mauser action hunt right hunting rifle. Yeah, something like that. I, I think I saw a Martini carbine. Yeah. Uh, so and that's all... and a possible Remington rolling block. Oh, nice, nice. I didn't um, notice that. But it could have it could have been a single shot shotgun. Mm. It, it's kind of really hard to see. So there's two that are armed with shovels and a broomstick mm-hmm. handle, which isn't yeah wrong. There's a so pitchfork in there too, I think. Yeah. So I crunched the numbers, and I think there's about fifteen or sixteen of them. Yeah. So they are 75% armed with firearms. <laughs> yeah. Which that, is I mean, incredibly high for a home guard yes, unit it is. in 1940. Um, so um, August 1940, they've they're three months after being renamed the Home Guard from the LDV. Yeah. They are at least four of them are in battle dress um with SMLEs, no webbing. No, they've got 37 think. pattern. Have they? They've okay. got a mixture of 37 pattern webbing um, and they've got a mixture of gas mask bags and like yeah. 37 small packs. So yes. I think at, for a representation of the home guards from probably they're not going for the mass, a massive like accurate thing. It's actually got it quite well because depending where you were was where stuff was rushed. So if you see like yeah. a, a photo of, there's some really good photos of lads in Dorset 
and they've got mm. Brens and, and the Enfields and Thompsons. Yeah. And it makes sense because they're, that's where the invasion was expected to be fought back. So yeah. they've got Post better weaponry. in London too with yeah, very exactly. well armed. Yeah, you look Obviously, at the... they're propaganda photographs, so they might yeah. not have had all of those weapons seen in the photographs no. all of the time. Mm. Uh, usual caveat supply with those. Yes, it does. Uh, but it, it's not bad. I mean, there's a. I only noticed it on a second watch through. All of the slings are American slings. Oh, good eye. Didn't yeah. notice that. <laughs> it's a really, really good eye. Uh, but I mean, I was, I was impressed they, they got the mess of Yeah, um, it was great. You see them fire them as well. Um, you do? They could have turned up a little bit earlier in the last battle, but it could have done a bit more. Yeah, they're all old. They're they're having forty winks. But I just thought it'd be interesting to say this little fact. Um, so obviously I was talking about them being seventy five percent armed, and mm-hmm. that is really good numbers because um, in the late summer, early autumn of nineteen forty, the War Office calculated that from the one point six million Home Guard volunteers, on a good day, mm-hmm. at least. Uh, 740,000 would not have personal weapons in the event of an invasion. Mm. So when wow. you look at when you yeah when you think of that's another thing as well that I mean, we're going off we're going into like proper history chat now but it's a good jumping off point just to talk about home guard. God, absolutely. Yeah. But it's interesting that in this movie they're really well armed because I think that's something that is lost in the home guard in like the what we think of the home guard as mm-hmm. they're still in quite dire straits armed wise you know weapons wise probably up until about mid 41 yes and it, yeah. that, that those first three months were quite touch and go whether they would have been a, they would have fought damn hard there's no you know if you read like people's personal accounts and things like that they're raring for a fight well they just yeah. didn't have the means for it yeah. so you see this regionalized use of uh, logistics and equipment up and down the uk you know the closer you get to the coast the probably better armed you are just it just happens that uh, Peppering Eye was a heavily armed village. Yeah, those lads were tooled. Um, <laughs> exactly, anyway, yeah. uh, I anyway, suppose I just thought it was interesting to talk about. No, that is interesting, and it's it's it's. I had it all in my notes too. Well, I had the the weapons in my notes, and um, I I I did a you know a pretty detailed look over and watched the same scene about seven See, times just to see what again. was in there. <laughs> it's like this week's been mad. <laughs> Um, but what they're up against is uh, is the Wehrmacht, uh, yes, and they're armed with everything you would expect to see. So MP40s, MG34, P38 pistols. One chap has a Gewehr 98 rather than a K98, yeah, uh, rifle. Uh, that's like a trope, to... though. I think that's a really nice little, like, 60s, 70s trope of when you have German art, like troops, you've got to have a Gewehr 98 rifle. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a certain, it's a certain um, thing you can tick off. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, did you notice the Panzerfausts? No, there are Panzerfausts. Yes. So anachronistic Panzerfausts are in the the weapons and ammunition dump that they blow oh, up at the end. Right. There's a mortar or two, and then there's yeah. a couple of mocked up Panzerfausts. See, I, in my head, I always thought they fired the mortars at. They fight. I always, my brain told me they always fired those mortars. You know, when you've got a thing, yeah. you just think you've seen that. And yes. I had to watch it a couple of times. I was like, they shoot those mortars at, Lan- at Angela Lansbury, don't they? But they don't. 
I just in my head I was like, well, it confused me. Well, I had I had a similar thing where my childhood memory was that she she was downed by MG four M, sorry MG thirty four ground fire, yes. um, not the explosion of the house. So mm. you know, um, it's funny how the memory <laughs> plays tricks like, like that. Bit. It always makes me laugh because it makes me laugh when any movie does it, but it it's less. You don't get it as much now just because there's mm-hmm. no you can you can do an effect like that a lot easier. Um, but when she does get the back blast of the the explosion mm-hmm. flies her off her broom. You can just tell it's a dummy, like full. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it just gets yeah. me every single time. It's like, just like it's <laughs> like a, a like a dead like yeah, dead this rag doll yeah. <laughs> just flying through the air. It's just so funny. It's just because <laughs> just the cut is so seamless on it. Oh, it just gets me every time. That's one of my memories from this movie as well. It's just that that sequence is just fantastic. Um, and it's PG. I would say PG, like depiction of warfare is really interesting as well. Mm, it is. Just, you know, like in, we can show people getting bonked on the head with ma- ma- mallets and malices. Is it a malice? Mace. Mace, mace, sorry. We can show people getting bonked on the head with a mace. And I'm laughing when I'm a child, like, ha ha, the German got bonked on the head. But then when I was watching it as a, now, <laughs> like as an adult, I'm like, He's got major brain problems now. <laughs> that chap. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, it's quite violent, really. But in a sort is in done in such a safe way that you don't think of that. You know, when you, no. you know, not you're a child. But it's such a good little sequence, isn't it? The puppet work is just exquisite. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, no, it the, really the is. The sight gags are just so great. Mm. Like, you know, the when the armor takes the helmet off and they like, you know. Shakes out the bullets the, out. Shakes the bullets yeah. out. Oh, it's just mm-hmm. fantastic, isn't it? And the scale is brilliant as well. Oh, it is. Yeah, I uh, I saw someone on IMDb put up a fact that said there was more armor on the show in this film than there is in all the stately homes in Britain. That's not true. That's not true at all. It's <laughs> not true. There's a lot like of armor it. in UK stately homes. Arms <laughs> yeah. and armor in UK stately homes is is pretty widespread. Um, but I thought that was a funny fact that someone had inc- decided to include <laughs> on MDB. <laughs> Maybe they thought that because there's that really nice painting of like the the scale of the army. Yeah, Maybe yeah. That's what where they're all silhouetting weird. on the ridge yeah, line. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. Definitely not hard targets, but it's like a <laughs> it's like a Helm's um, Deep like yeah scale yeah. thing. It's fantastic. And I, I, I like think the... I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to move on to favorite scenes because yeah, obviously we are. We're, we're, getting we're into both that, dying to talk about that scene. Ironically, I mean, we're sticking to the war movie thing a bit, <laughs> but the anima- the, the animated soccer match is really great animation wise. But yeah. because I was a child and grew up with commando books and stuff, I was like, get to the battle, <laughs> come on. <laughs> you know, I think I had my my videos trained on like I could hit the fast forward and hit the play when they mm-hmm. got when the germans got on the beach and i was like here we go <laughs> <laughs> so i think we should go into favorite scenes hello i'm al murray and you're listening to fighting on film the world's number one war film podcast so rob favorite scenes what have you got so obviously we coming off talking about the battle but do you think it's important that we talk about the portobello road sequence because i think that's yeah. one thing on twitter mm-hmm. that came up a lot yeah. Um, and to quote, uh, we have ways an acronym for mm-hmm. Duke, which I think yeah. stands for. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's Dominions, United Kingdom, and Empire. 
that's it. It's in Al's yeah. new book too, yeah, which oh, hopefully we're going to be talking to right. him about um, in a future soon. episode. But yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Um, for a 1971 depiction of um, the British war effort, it's remarkably nuanced. Yeah, like it's really incredible. And I think it only came to light after that restoration as well, because that mm. becomes like a nine minute sequence with the dance. It's so colourful. Yeah. It's really colourful, yeah. And it's it's not when it when that sequence starts, you think it's oh it's just gonna be like a little song and dance number. But mm-hmm. then it's really long and it brings in, I think and I wrote it down, you get Australians, Scots, uh Trinidad troops, British Army, Navy, yeah. Air Force, and there might even be a couple that I'm missing out there. Indian. Um, Indian as well, of course. Yes. They're very prominent. Uh Indian. There's Royal Navy, uh, there's an ARP warden, there's Wrens, there's um, WAFs, there's RAF. Almost every service branch is is yeah. highlighted there. It's, it's really, really interesting. They come in and they play music of their own cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just such a great little sequence, such a melting pot of what the British war effort was actually made up of, not just plucky Tom. It's, it's everyone who did pick up a rifle. You could almost argue that that in its own way it's also showing how many theatres of war were being fought. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got the Far East, you've got the desert, you've got, you know, Europe as well. Not that it's meaning to, but in my head, I'm thinking, oh, good, that's that's the movie doing its bit to, to just show the Allied war effort. And the movie yeah. also, it's, it, you know, it's not, as we say, it's not a strict war movie because if the movie sort of forgets for about an hour that it's even set in 1940, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't really mean much to the plot until the end. But it's really good. And it's I don't think we you have, I mean, quote me if I'm wrong, listeners, but I don't think there is a movie that shows that part of the Allied war effort in representation-wise. I don't think there is another film that does it. No, it, it certainly feels very special in that it represents so many different aspects and so many different mm. nationalities input into the war effort that it really stands stands out within the film itself yeah no it does and it's just, and it's such a joyous little scene as well you know it, it just puts a smile on my face mm-hmm. um and i think it you know it's i'm glad that they restored it because that sequence might have been lost if they hadn't restored the movie in 96 and it's such a great yeah, it wouldn't thing. have been as prominent that's for sure no it wouldn't have um it, yeah but then going back to the the other my other of my favorite scenes and i also before we move on i also really like the little Bayo tapestry um, I was going to mention that too in the in the, uh, the inter- in the introduction credits. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. that's really really nice. Um, but obviously, going back to the battle scene, I mean, what haven't we said about it? Interesting little tidbit for you. I, I did a little bit of reading around this, and there was a very interesting. Um, so there's a there's a there's a historical basis for the film, actually. Okay. Um, especially this sequence. There was a very interesting lady called Dion Fortune from um, from North Wales who was the leader of the Fraternity of the Inner Light. Um, she was an occultist, and she, she led this society of um, witches and people interested in magic. Um, and she had her group manifest invisible helpers to protect, oh. to protect Britain's coast. Wow. So I thought that was really interesting that it parallels the, the empty armor, the invisible I helpers. get it. Yeah. yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, it's cool. I almost wish there was more. I mean, I know I'm just, I want there to be more from a kids' movie, but there could have been more 
like from Lansbury's character at the start, trying to get in contact with the war office and maybe being like rebuffed or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have they could have done a little bit more there, but they didn't have to. Obviously, it's just in my head. I would like to have been her trying to, you know, be, oh look, I can really help. And they go, no, it's all you know, it's all <laughs> hocus pocus and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it could have been a nice little thing. And she, you know, could have been the sequel. It could have been. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> Angela Lansbrunner on a landing craft tank in '44. <laughs> <laughs> Commanding hordes of armor. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really interesting. Uh, but it's just a great little sequence about that the ending there, what it can get away with, like in a you know, in a kind of kids rating way mm. of doing warfare. And just it's just the thing of like, you know, <laughs> the Germans' faces when they start shooting at the, yeah. the armor. And we're still in the period in the late 60s, early 70s, we're still in that period of commando books, we're still in that period of uh, you know, Victor comics, all things like that, that mm-hmm. sort of paint the German troops as sort of bumbling fools. We're not really in a era yet of really reevaluating the sort of German army like we are now. Um, so it's just really interesting that that in that it just chooses to make a mockery of them because that isn't that the best way of you know beating your villain is to just make a mockery of them. So I yeah. think it's really interesting as well. I think what captured it for me as a child was. I love the idea of the museum coming alive. Yeah. I really love that um, because I loved museums as a kid, um, loved history as a kid. And I, the idea of the the suits of armor and and, and things coming to life and moving around and and fighting one last battle really captured my imagination. Mm. Um, And I still love how it has representations of various periods of military history. Yeah, it's nice. Um, yeah, you've got medieval knights. Um, you've got a cuirassier. You've got 18th century grenadiers, pikemen from the English Civil War, um, archers. They're not all particularly accurate in the uniforms, no. yeah, in the depictions, but they're representative, and you can see what they're going for, and it's thought provoking, and I love that. I still love that. Yeah, um, it's really I think cute. That's the as beauty well. of that scene. It yeah, is. It, it's weird. I know it's a war film, but there's and it's a you know, battle sequence, but there's something really cozy about it. Mm. I think that's what is like old Disney movies, you know, before all the you know, conglomeratization of Disney and then buying yeah. up every property they can. Like that that golden era from like the you know the early 40s, probably to the mid 70s, yeah. that golden era there was just it's just so cozy. I could always go back to it, you know. My missus is a huge Mary Poppins fan, you know, it's one of the, you know, the, the sort of forming movies of her childhood there. And it's as well as that, this movie as well for me was one of the movies where I'm like, oh cool, you know, there's a Disney film, but it's got warfare in it. Yeah. But it but it felt special. It's such a weird it's such an in weird feeling to like attach to a movie that we don't attach to other war movies in no. the same way. It's just such a really interesting sort of feeling i get a feeling from this movie that i don't yeah it's it's that it's that popular consciousness of the understanding of the war yeah Uh, i think it plays into that and it's it's the the warm side of that where there's humor and there's laughter and you know a a stick grenade blows a horse apart but it puts itself back together in a funny way yeah yeah there's lots of humor within that sequence you talked about the, the german getting hit on the head by the mace there's the huge battle axe that cuts the MG34 barrel in two. <laughs> yeah. Um, the bullets being... up and down the country winced when that happened. <laughs> yeah, I was saying it's got a, a couple of grand machine gun there, yeah. wrecked, whatever. <laughs> um, fingers crossed it was a mock-up. Um, but 
yeah, there's lots of little bits within that that yeah that, that are humorous and that lightens the mood. So it, it's still a Disney movie, but it's dealing with a very serious conflict. Um, mm. There's a couple of parallels I wanted to touch on, which I thought were interesting uh, from that. So it's not a full invasion. It's a, a little exercise is what um, Colonel Heller, um, I, yeah. I think, describes it as to uh, a Galantine. Um, and it begins with an old lad that's uh, brewing up uh, yeah, near the he beach and he's jumped. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite. Um, I, I remember watching that. I was like, oh, that's quite. Doesn't Ooh. even get a brew before he stands too, Rob. No, he doesn't. No. Still needs to put that on a t shirt. Why, um, why is he not on? Where's his mate? Should be watching the twos. They've already got him. They've already got him, Rob. Oh, Those yeah. damn Nazis. You don't see him again. No. no I did, Hopefully I he's all right. That. Yeah, maybe. I kind of like that the home guard at the end get their little. They're already retreating. Um, what I don't like it actually, they get their little the moment at the end where they come in and, and the Germans are retreating back to the submarine and they yeah, fire off a couple volley. of salvos yeah. and then they act like they've won. They act like they did it all. <laughs> they always yeah. make me laugh. So I'm like, it's a bit funny, isn't it? That's um, another thing with the home guard. Well, at least the home guard actually get to fire a shot in anger. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's something. Another parallel um, was we get massive Miss Grant goes to the door vibes when the Germans arrive at the farm. So oh, yeah, yeah. she opens the door the to well put the cat well. out. Yeah. yeah, went the day well as well. Um, she opens the door to put the cat out and two Germans appearing at her over the, the brick wall of the farmyard. Yeah. Um, so it's there's interesting little parallels there that, that maybe were really... thought of at the time, but maybe not, I don't know. Yeah, in in the when they're in the the house with Lansbury mm. and the kids, that's quite tense. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that when I was little. I remember that being quite scary because Katie said that my, my wife when we were watching it, the detective producer. She she was like, "This bit always scared me. Something about this bit that it was quite sinister for about that's his being in your house. Yeah. It goes straight back to this. Miss Grant goes to the door. If you haven't seen that episode, listeners, do go back to episode one of Fighting on Film where you can find that uh, episode two. Sorry, yeah, uh, where you can two. find us discussing the really interesting. Um, propaganda movie made by the Ministry of Information that deals with a German uh, fifth columnist and mm. parachutists. Very, and very interesting. Well, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't end this episode by mentioning Disney kept itself afloat during the Second World War by making propaganda yeah. movies. So mm. there is a nice little connection there. Yeah, um, and training films. like There's that amazing um, animated... Um, we should do that, actually, for a, for a show. There's a, a boy's anti-tank rifle... Um, Canadian Disney movie, which is is really good. Donald Duck, isn't it? Shooting the boys. I, I think remember. so. Yeah, it's great. So. Yeah. yeah, we need to do that. We do. We should um, do that one. Do boys anti tanking film? Be a short one, but be a good. Oh yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Nine men, crack that tank. Yeah, we always come back to nine men. Always. <laughs> <laughs> we should buy the rights um, at this point. We love it that much. Yeah, I, I, I would happily buy the rights and just tour that yes. around the country. Um. <laughs> Roll up, roll up. We're what going tangential think? again, Rob. We're going tangential. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I guess that takes us into final thoughts. Oh, what more can you say about bed bombs and broomsticks? It's just, it's just a classic. Mm. It, it is one of the Disney classics, isn't it? And it's when, you know, I, I didn't think of it for a while because, you know, hustle and bustle of life and all that. But when Angela Lansbury passed away, I was thinking this movie, I was thinking Saturdays at my nan's watching mm -hmm. uh, Murder, She Wrote. 
and it's just that's the word cozy is coming back. Mm-hmm. It's just one of them. Cozy and he's going to love it in a couple of years' time. Yeah, and it is one of those movies where you can you can sit down, you know, with your kids and just enjoy it. And mm-hmm. there's something in it for us, you know, to use another we have ways uh, term, afflicted. You know, if you're affli- if you're afflicted like some of the some of the of, of us military history fans are and you know historians among us like it, it's you can enjoy it with your family and go look this is why this is why i like mm-hmm. what i like because movies like this yeah you know it's all formative you stuff can, you can sit there and tell any well although it's set in august 1940 and the, the actual blitz on london be- didn't begin until you know september and although she does say we're getting these poor children away from the bombings um it's okay because it's historical license it, yeah. it doesn't matter the peppering i home got a 75 percent armed earnest yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll be like dad dad stop <laughs> please films ruined you dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> just enjoy the movie what they should actually have here is broomsticks with with uh with knives tied to them and molotov cocktails um <laughs> where's the type 76 grenades also, I will throw in um, that Mr. Brown joins the Irish Guards at the end of the film. Oh, does he? I always wondered yeah, which minute he was. I, I did pause it, and I think I had a close look um, at the uh, the cat badge he's wearing is is Irish Guards. And but he the should longest be time I thought, guard, really. I don't yeah, think he should be at his age. Um, yeah. And for the longest time, I just assumed he was, and I was always confused about why he was saying yeah. his farewells just to go <clears> off and do like a home guard exercise. Um, mm. But they're obviously giving him a um a send off to the station because um, i always thought that would have made a better ending because i thought you know obviously by that time him and him and um a galantine La- a galantine are like you know they've got a little bit of romance going on so i always mm-hmm. thought it would have been nice of him to go oh you know my time to patrol the coast again yeah and, and she could go i'll see you later you know it would have been a nice little ending but mm-hmm. they don't do that yeah i'd always thought it's slightly nice. different because i always thought he was home guard at the end Mm. My brain was probably not even engaged at the words <laughs> when I was little. <laughs> and I'll, I'll also just mention the inspecting officer um, who encounters a, a villager that's painting over the signs. Nice. I like that. And he asks, of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Where, where's, can you direct me to Peppering Eye? And he, he says, oh, no, can't do that. Radio's told us not to. Mm-hmm. And he's it's all over the, the stuff sign. that the Dad's Army Series 1 does really well. Yes, because it's more grounded, and then it becomes mm-hmm. more farcical as it goes along. It did really yeah. did remind me of that. You know, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. movie does sometimes a better job of reminding the audience that you know Britain is in trouble in nineteen forty than that's on me sometimes does. Um, but that's another argument for another day. Yeah, uh, but as you've already said, like my final thoughts on it are, you know, it's it's special. There's that mm. classic animation. There's the elements of comedy. The musical Timeless. numbers are good, and I'm not even a musical kind of person um no. there's lots of fascinating uh representations of evacuees duke as we've already mentioned the home yeah. guard um just a really interesting little movie and of course angela absolutely knocks it out of the park one of the greats yeah mm-hmm. so what better way to end so we're really glad that everyone sort of really wanted us to tackle it because i don't think we would have if the, if the fans no, it would have been it would have been a little bit longer i think we probably would have got to it got to it eventually um but yeah. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can find us on TikTok now as well. Uh, for the entire back catalogue of, of the podcast, uh, go to finalfilm.com. And we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.